0: So having taken a a couple of weeks break, we're back in our series on the glory of the Messiah. And this week we're going to focus on John chapter 1 and bring some perspective on what John was telling us about Jesus. So we're going to read the first 18 verses of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness cannot comprehend it or overcome it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light which was coming into the world, enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right To become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we've all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were revealed through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Probably some of the most profoundest words in the whole of scripture are contained in this passage. Some of the deepest thinking. And we're going to try to unravel it and explore it this morning. The word John uses for word is, of course, the word logos. It's a very commonplace word in Greek. It's not a rare word. It literally means word. Word. And so just as we would use word commonly in English, so it was used commonly in the Greek-speaking world. And John was writing to believers who were Jewish, but were living across the the Roman Empire and in in the Greek-speaking world, and in the Gentile world. And he's also writing to those who are Gentiles who come out of a Greek-thinking world. And so he's drawing upon both of these worlds when he uses this term, both the Jewish world and the Greek world. And he's using, picked up this term that was familiar in both worlds and has applied it to Jesus. The Greek philosophers, especially the Stoics, were mostly concerned with the notion of how must I live in order to be happy? What is it that will make me happy and content and peaceful in this life? That's what Greek philosophy was all about. And as they considered this, they came up with the idea of the Logos which they saw as the harmonious principle in the world, which brings order and therefore peace and happiness. For them, the logos was this ethereal thing that that was existing in the world. And if we connected with it, we would find peace and happiness. And if people lived according to its principles or its spiritual force, they would find happiness in this world. This is in contrast, of course, with the world of today. Stoics believed that happiness lay in moral goodness and a life lived in good order. Modern humanity seems rather to want to cast off all order and plunge into hedonism in order to pursue happiness or at least pleasure. So the Greeks had a completely different view of happiness. Happiness came from good order and from connecting with this spiritual force. In comparison, in the Jewish world, this notion of word is summed up in the Hebrew term dabba, which means word, just the same, but was associated with Yahweh, the Jewish God. In the Old Testament, the the phrase, the word of the Lord, the word of Yahweh, is used 241 times. So it was a familiar term in Jewish thinking as well. The word, not just the word, as in Greek, in Jewish, it was the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord was that which did creative things, which brought creation into being. That brought healing, that brought salvation, that, that brought deliverance from the people. And so the word of the Lord was closely associated with the Lord Himself. And so in the Greek speaking word and Hebrew speaking word worlds, the idea of the word was significant. But the difference the significant difference between the ideas of the Greeks and the ideas of the Jews is what John says in verse 14. And the word became flesh. John, for the first time, took this idea of a word that's out there somewhere and said it became a man. It became human. It dwelt amongst us. And that's the great difference between John and all of this thinking that was going on in the Greek world about this word, word, word. John doesn't present the word as an ethereal force or an an idea or even just as the power of God. He presents the word as a flesh and blood man who came amongst us. For the Greeks, they would have thought this idea heinous. Why would spirit want to become flesh when all flesh was evil in their opinion? For the Jews, this thought was alien. A Jew could deal with the notion of the word as the creative force of God or of wisdom personified as in Proverbs 8. But how could that creative force of God take on human flesh? And this is the challenge of the good news that John intends to bring his readers. That God's word became human. So we're going to unpack this notion of the Logos a little bit more. John begins this with three statements about the Logos. In the beginning was the Logos. In the beginning was the Word. The Logos was with God. And the Logos was God. So the, in the beginning was the Logos. The Logos was with God. The Logos was God. Three key statements that John wants to unpack in the rest of this chapter and in the rest of his book, in fact. So the first phrase, in the beginning was the Word, gives us a sense of eternity. The eternity of the Logos. It takes us back to in the beginning God created of Genesis chapter 1. It's the same term used. In the beginning. But he's not saying in the beginning God created heaven and the earth. He's saying in the beginning before all things were created. There was the Logos. There was God in the beginning but the Logos was there alongside. We could translate this as... In the beginning, the word already was. And John is making a a clear, a a very clear statement here that the Logos didn't come into being when he became flesh, but that he was an existence from eternity. You see, Jesus didn't become divine when, um, didn't become divine. He didn't suddenly appear in history when he was born of Mary. Jesus always was, although he was not known as Jesus He has always existed with the Father and will always exist with the Father from eternity to eternity. And therefore, Jesus in his life could say, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus did not become when he was born of the Virgin. He always was there in the beginning with the Father from before eternity. He will always be with the Father until all eternity. And he has always existed. He was in the beginning, with God. And so we come to that second phrase, the word was with God. And that doesn't translate into English in all its full meaning. The Greek doesn't mean with as alongside, next to, but means the word was in dynamic relationship to God. In other words, the word always existed in a face to face relationship with God Himself. There was interaction between God and the Word from all eternity. And it's this interaction, the, the, the coming the, the conversation that was going on between God and His Word that brought creation into being, that spun planets off into the into the universe, that created the stars and set all life in motion. It was out of this conversation that was going on between the Father and His Son. And the third phrase, the word was God. John leaves us in no doubt as to the identity of this logos. The word was God. Literally, it translates as God was the word. Theos en ho logos. God was the word. It's not just attributing some kind of divinity to Jesus but of a lower order than Yahweh, as the Jehovah's Witnesses would have us believe. It's not saying a God existed, but that God himself was the word. And so at the end of the gospel, Thomas proclaims, my Lord and my God. And in that he's saying, my Kyrios and my Theos, my Yahweh and my El. He's acknowledging Jesus as Yahweh himself, the God who created all things. Thomas' explanation sums up the whole of John's gospel and says, a man has come to recognize that this man is more than a man, but the one who existed and the one who created and the one who is above all. So if in John's gospel, Jesus is being proclaimed as Yahweh, as we are suggesting, either this gospel is completely blasphemous or else it is proclaiming the truth of who Jesus really is. And there's no other way of seeing it. And that's the option we have. John was a blasphemer. Or John was proclaiming Jesus as something more than just a man. But as the one who set universes into, into being. Verse 3. All things came into being through him. Here John takes us from eternity. And we step into time. Time only began with creation. Outside of the created order, there is no time, only eternity. But at a point in time, God began the process of the creation of all things. And he did this through his creative word. In Genesis 1, it says, and God said. And it's his word that spoke the universe into being. And at that moment, time was created. Because time monitors the passing of moments. And the passing of matter. And without matter you can't have time. But God had created matter and therefore created time. And at a point in time, God created through his word. Notice that John doesn't say by him, but through him. He leaves the creation as an act of the father, but it's only achieved through the Son. The Father and the Son acted together in creating all things. What's a word? What's a word? It's a sound, yeah. Anything else? It's an expression of meaning, it's something we use to communicate. What we're thinking, what we're feeling, and what, what's going on inside. Jesus is the means through which God expresses all that he is. He speaks through Jesus. And in speaking, he spoke creation into being. In 1 Corinthians eight six, Paul puts it like this. Yet for us there is one God the father from whom all things are and for whom we exist and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom all things are and through whom we exist Paul does it by just repeating the same phrase concerning the father and the son but he's saying exactly the same thing as John is saying in this passage Jesus and the father are one and yet Jesus is the expression the way God demonstrates what he's like to all of us And building on this thought, John next tells us that this Logos, this Jesus, was life. However, he also tells us that this, this life was light, a light that shines in the darkness and cannot be overcome by it. In John's gospel, light is associated with truth as opposed to falsehood, and it's associated with goodness as opposed to evil. And so Jesus is the light that brought the revelation of God. And when God shines his light on humanity, it shows us up for who we really are. It reveals us in our sinful state. But God doesn't shine his light on us in order to shame us, but so that we can enter into the life that comes through the light. And that is the life of eternity made available now to us through Jesus Christ. God, in shining his light in the person of Jesus, said, come, And receive the fullness of the life that I have for you. Come and enter into relationship with me. Come and become all that you were created to be. Come and enter into my life. We also have an an allusion to the cross here. At the cross, darkness, which is evil, which is Satan, tried to extinguish the light of God. But it couldn't be overcome It couldn't overcome it because the light is more powerful than the darkness. And Jesus overcame all darkness and made the way open for us to come into God's light through his resurrection. And it's in the death and the resurrection that he overcame the darkness to bring us into his marvelous light. And in declaring that the true light was coming into the world, John is giving us a flavor of what will follow in his gospel. The true light came to the people of Israel who were supposed to be the light of the world themselves, bringing God's revelation to all mankind. But they didn't recognize the true light. Only a few did. And it was to these that God gave the right to become the children of God. And we are born of God, not in the sense of natural childbirth or physical descent. For we were outside of the people of God. But God, through shining his light onto all humanity, has caused us to be born again. drop down to verse 14 and the word became flesh one of the most profound statements in all the scripture the creative presence of God the one through whom all things were made the one who existed with God from all eternity the one who was God himself became human and lived amongst us how could this be Greek philosophy couldn't conceive of such a thing. Judaism couldn't anticipate this action. But God clothed himself in human flesh and lived here on earth as a man. The word John uses here for dwelt, of course, is the word tabernacled. And he uses it very deliberately. He's pointing us back to the tent of Moses in the wilderness. And it was there in the Holy of Holies where the presence of God was demonstrated by the Shekinah glory. If you stood outside the tabernacle, you couldn't see the light, you couldn't see the glory. But the priest, once a year, was allowed right into that holy place, and he could go in there, and he could go through the veil, and he could stand and look and see the glory of God shining in the very physical presence of God. And what John is saying is, when Jesus came amongst us, he came like the tabernacle, and a few were allowed a glimpse into to see his glory. And he records that the miracles revealed the glory of God. And the disciples entered into and saw the glory. We beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What a privilege it was for them to walk with him. And these disciples glimpsed that glory and became to believe in him as a result. And we're told that Jesus was full of grace and truth. Perhaps this is a reference back to Exodus 34, 6. In that passage, God revealed his glory to Moses with the words, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And John, when he talks about the glory, said he was full of grace and truth, and it matches back right to the image that we see. In Exodus of Moses. Jesus is the one. Who displays the character of Yahweh. For all humanity to see. He's the one who demonstrates. Both the the grace and truth of God. So that we can see it. And be drawn into relationship. With the father. And then dropping down to the last verse. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten who's in the bosom of the Father, he has explained or he has revealed him. Moses saw the glory of God. Isaiah saw a vision of God with his robe filling the temple. But nobody has seen God himself except Jesus, who is God. And it's he who's made the Father known to us. Only Jesus can reveal God to us. We can't see him through any other faith. We cannot see him in philosophy. We cannot see him through mystical experience. We can only see him through Jesus, because only Jesus makes him known, because only Jesus is God in human flesh. After this prologue, John never uses the term logos again. It's here to demonstrate right at the outset that all the notions of the word or even the word of God, are fulfilled in Jesus. However, they are fulfilled in a way never expected, because they come to their conclusion in Jesus, the word made flesh. And this is John's testimony. And on the basis of it, we can be certain of our faith. He says, we beheld his glory. In other words, what we're getting here is an eyewitness account of what John actually saw in Jesus. He was with him. He walked with him. And yet still, right to the end of his life, he was saying, we saw God in human flesh. We beheld his glory. And he's saying that just as Moses gazed upon the glory of God, so he, John, and the other disciples also gazed upon his glory. Not in the form of an ethereal light, but in the form of a man who lived, ate, and walked with them. And we can only conclude that John was either a liar, was a deluded fool, or that he'd really seen the glory of God in his friend Jesus. And we can make no other conclusion. And so on the basis of John's testimony, we can stand strong in the knowledge that Jesus, our Saviour, our Lord, is also our God. Amen. Let's pray and then we'll sing a last song. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word and for those, Lord God, who went before us. And Lord God, have given us their testimony. We ask, Lord God, that the closer we come to you through Jesus, the more we might know you in all your glory. Amen.